Rachel Templeton. Today on Parent School, we're talking about mornings, something my family is really not very good at. Come on, guys, let's go. We're gonna be late. Shoes? Mm-hmm. You brush your teeth? Yes. Sebby, you gotta get your shoes on. Shoes on, kiddo. Did you brush your teeth? No. You, didn't, you forgot to brush your teeth? Mm-hmm. Okay, shoot, let's go brush your teeth. Quick, quick, quick. Oh, shoot, we were almost on time today. If you've listened to Parent School before, you know Polly Ely is a no-nonsense, down-to-brass-tacks resource for a lot of families in the Bay Area. In this episode, she's getting right to the heart of why a lot of families, like mine, feel pretty frazzled before it's 9 a.m. I make a big confession in this show. I talk about how I pretty much gave up on getting my kids to school on time last year. We're better now. I guess I want you to know that. As usual, there are a few words in here that you probably don't want your kids to hear, so best to listen solo. You're a family therapist. You see a lot of busy families. From your point of view, what should the mornings be and where are we missing the boat? I think there's probably more relational trauma that occurs between the hours of 7 and 8.10 when school starts than any other time of day. The morning is literally like you're getting shot out of a cannon for a lot of people. And it is entirely devoid of a relational aspect or one where we're connecting or feeling just kind of any part of the juicy reason why we actually had kids in the first place. I think the thing that we chronically do is create a lot of stress around being late. Can't be late. We can't be late. Hurry up. And we dribble this into their existence the second they wake up. After about an hour of it, the cortisol levels in our brains, ours and theirs, are skyrocketing with a fear of being late. And what we know for sure is people don't speed up when they're fearful and have high cortisol levels. They'll actually slow down. So if you can try to set aside the don't be late, don't be late, don't be late anxiety and just say, let's work on being in the flow first. Let's see if you can just get your flow down. And if we end up being late, then we're late. Let's aim for being on time. But the most important thing is that we arrive feeling whole, that we arrive feeling connected and that we arrive feeling peaceful. Most kids these days are arrived feeling totally jangled to school. They're getting dropped off by parents who have screamed at them all morning or yelled at them and scared them into getting out the door. And that's just really not optimal for learning. And it's not good for just them inside. They have a hard time focusing. Can't even count the number of mornings in which I dropped off my kid and I spent four hours feeling shitty about what I did to them that morning. And I knew I wanted to turn that around. And part of that meant I needed to take the fear out of the equation. The hurry, 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 hurry talk was really just like, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. There's something to fear here. And that slowed everything down and made everything feel like high stakes in the morning. So while you can hold the value of being on time, it's really essential that you prioritize teaching somebody how to do their life in a peaceful way and teaching yourself how to be relaxed while you help them learn how to do that, they've got 90 years to be here. And you can either wire them to wake up stressed every single morning just because that's what their first years were like, or you can teach them how to relax, find their flow, and get out the door with a smile on their face, kind of excited for their day. How do you keep kids on track with a very short window of time? 
it starts a little bit with prioritizing relationship over efficiency in the morning. And let me just say, I totally value efficiency and I value being on time. So as we go into this conversation, I want to say that's a standard of mine, being on time, showing up ready, having, you know, your shit in order if you're a kid and also be as a parent, not being completely dragged through the mud in the experience either. I would say my first and most primary value is no matter how or where we're going and what time we need to get there, it matters to me that you and I have felt connected on some level in our relationship before we do just the giant exercise of checking all the boxes and getting out the door. So you have 30 minutes, and in that time, the kids have to eat breakfast, brush teeth, get dressed, yeah. put their shoes and socks on. Let's say they're not listening, they're playing, they're doing anything other than what they should be doing. So what advice do you have for parents to get back into a sane zone that's yeah. not stressful? So one way that I began to orient to this is understanding that my kids' internal love tank, if you will, how do I say this? My kids' ability to hold on to their feeling of being loved and valued and connected with would draw down in the middle of the night. With hours away from me, they would become depleted as if they had a battery like your phone. Over the course of the hours that they're separated from me at night, they wake up with like 5%. During the first few minutes of their being awake, I can actually make contact with them and we can have a deeply connecting moment and recharge their battery. Or they can come out of their sleep at about 5% battery and they can roll into the next phase of all the things they need to do on 5% battery, which means I'm going to have a kid that's pretty fried going right into the morning routine. Alternatively, if I take one minute and say to you, if you're my kid, come on over here and can we just hold each other for a moment? And that kid will almost inevitably say yes, because that is actually what they're needing inside is some contact, deep contact with their parent or caregiver. So you, if you're my kid, would come into my lap and come up against my chest where we tend to co-regulate each other. For some kids, this happens in 30 seconds, and for other kids, it can happen in minutes. Their little battery will start to charge right back up and go to full within sometimes 60 to 90 seconds of them just being connected physically to us. Now, there is a distinction to be made here. I used to feel very hurried inside in the morning, you know, like a pressure inside me to get so much stuff done. And if I brought that hurried pressure to a hug where I was wanting to bring you into my lap and connect with you, I wouldn't be able to charge your battery efficiently. But if I took that two minutes and said, this is just our time to kind of recharge our batteries and remember that we're really important to each other, connect our hearts, and I let you hold on to me until you're done, you let go first, I can rest assured that your battery is full and you will be an entirely different kid for the rest of the morning because of it. But as I come to that time where I'm holding on to you and you're holding on to me, I'm consciously making the decision not to be in the hurried zone during that time. Then I'm setting aside everything that needs to be done. And frankly and ironically, the most efficient thing I could do in that moment is stop thinking about everything I need to do because your battery will charge faster when I become present with you. So I'm imagining doing this, but I'm still feeling myself rush and looking at the clock. 
Well, first thing to know is that when you make the investment of that time to connect first, you will have their listening 100% more than you would have if you didn't. So this, for those of us who are just really practically minded and can hardly fathom slowing down to hold a kid first thing in the morning, think of it as an investment in their listening for the morning because they're plugged in. Picture a plug in a socket. Once they plug into you relationally, they can hear you better. But if that kid wakes up and hasn't plugged in, you're more like white noise than anything else. So let's just talk practically. Everybody has to get out the door in the morning. We all have somewhere to be. What's an action plan that we can really put into place? One thing that used to screw me up the most was shoes and socks and teeth brushing. My kids would come out of their room, messy haired and tired, and they would want breakfast first. I would give them breakfast. Then they wanted to play. Then I would tell them we don't have time to play. I'd already given them their breakfast, which was ultimately what they wanted the most. I had no leverage to get them to get dressed now other than screaming at them because we were going to be late, which they frankly didn't care about. So everything felt just like a complete slog, like a battle. Until I realized, number one, that breakfast needed to be made into the final thing that they get after they've gotten dressed shirt to shoes and brushed their teeth. Breakfast was the last thing you did before you walked out the door. And generally, most kids are motivated around breakfast. And if they're not, there's a way that we can make them motivated around breakfast. It's a time where we can hopefully deliver something that they want that feels good to their little bellies. Or one mom was like, my kid doesn't really feel motivated by breakfast. And I'm like, well, have you ever done like a wonderful decaffeinated Earl Grey tea with honey and some cinnamon in it for him with oat milk, you know, just kind of created some special kind of morning drink. And she said she hadn't yet. And I'm like, try it, create a little ritual drink. Everybody loves a little morning ritual drink and make that the thing that he can't wait to get to. But absolutely by no means do they get to sit down at that table until their shirt and shoes are on and their teeth are brushed. And I've consulted with a lot of dentists on this for those of us who are really worried about brushing first and then eating. It's totally okay. It doesn't matter when the teeth get brushed. It matters that the teeth get brushed. I would just say, get all of the hard stuff out of the way before you give the good stuff. So on that note, how do you feel about sticker charts in the morning? I'm not a huge fan, to be honest. It's not that they're not good or that they're bad. They run out in terms of their usefulness. They usually have a spike of interest. And generally, the smarter a kid is, the quicker he will pass through the initial excitement phase of getting whatever it is that you might be getting, whether it's a sticker or a marble or a toy or some iPad time. And then there will be a quick drop-off in terms of the motivation for that item. In fact, at a certain point when we're offering extrinsic rewards, oftentimes the child will either do a power play with us at a certain point and say, I don't need your reward and I don't care about it anymore. Or we'll start yanking it as a threat to them. So if getting 15 minutes of iPad time is what you get if you get all the way through to breakfast and you're ready with your shirt to shoes on, when you stop being in the flow, I'm going to start going, you're not going to get your iPad time. And now I'm setting up a threat situation with my kid. At a certain point, 
that's really not considered a reward anymore. We're just setting up a high risk, high threat culture between me and my kid where I'm threatening to yank rewards. That's really not the purpose of a reward at all. So if you keep the reward to be an intrinsic one, one that's about the relationship, it means every bit as much and it has a lasting effect. If I acknowledge you, if you're my child, for getting all the way to the breakfast table with your shirt and shoes on, and then I use my voice and my affirmation and my sweet feelings towards you, as a way of saying, can I give you a hug, Rachel? You did such a good job getting yourself ready today, and I'm so proud of you. That is a kind of reward that lasts inside of a child and motivates them to want to do it again tomorrow and the next day and years into the future is the relationship as the reward instead of stickers and marbles and candies. So for that reason, I think extrinsic rewards just end up having a short half-life. They just don't last very long, but relationship rewards really do last and build upon themselves. Really, I can't underscore enough the value of using yourself and your relationship as a reward. You can have it build upon itself forever. You know, you're going to live with this kid for the minimum of 18 years, and no matter what you offer as an extrinsic reward, it will always run out on you. And the only thing that won't run out is the desire to be connected with you. So when you offer your relationship as a reward, your sort of deep acceptance and connection with them will always motivate them like an engine that goes inside of them. You never have to replace. All you do is refuel it. Is there a way that we can train our kids to move without following them around and reminding them when they inevitably get off track. Sometimes I feel like I'm just hurting them as they lose their way. They forget what to do next. And I don't like getting resentful and mad and feeling wasted by 8.15 in the morning. So for me, I had to give myself a boundary of how many times I was going to be playing the role of heel nipper if you will. And I realized that if I didn't have a system in place for my kids to feel cued in the right direction, it would end up having to be me. And then that would lead to a lifetime of misery. So we decided together, my kids and I, how they would like to flow through the morning. And once I started to engage them in terms of getting their authorship, if you will, about how they wanted to flow in the house in the morning, things started to move better. Let me explain. So first of all, I asked them, what do you think are the things that you have to do in the morning so you can be ready to go and get to the place where you're having a book or getting breakfast? And they always knew. I was always stunned. Like they knew exactly what they needed to do. So we started by making just a list of probably about the five things they need to do. Get your clothes on, brush your teeth, put your shoes on, get your backpack, eat your breakfast. So this becomes actually a really fun conversation for parents with their kids once they start engaging with them. How do you want to do this? Do you want to go from your room to the bathroom or do you want to go from your room to the laundry room to get your clothes? How do you think this makes sense? Let them design the path like they're their own little navigator. And the autonomy and the design of that, if it comes from your kid, means that the propensity for them to actually do it goes way, way up. Anytime somebody else 
can author and create their own autonomy, they are much more likely to follow it. The mistake a lot of parents make is they make the list and then they give it to the kid and they're like, this is the order you should do your morning. And then they can't figure out why the kid doesn't comply or connect to it. Well, the kid didn't design it. So help your kid decide what are the five to six things that they need to do in the morning and keep it manageable. Make it a winnable game. Have them draw a little picture for each station and put a number on it. They decide that that's their first thing, let's say. And then they get the sign and they have tape or whatever you'll allow, and they hang it in a place that makes sense to them where they think they'd like to be cued for their first step in the morning. Now, my little adult brain would be like, okay, put the toothbrushing station sign in the bathroom, but it doesn't matter what I think. Your kid might say, well, actually, I need my toothbrush station sign in my bed so that it cues me about where I need to go next. Like They'll have their own little mindset about how things should be designed to cue them to go to their next station. So let's say they've got all five stations laid out. They've decided where their little signs are going to get hung. And then you limit yourself to saying, what's your next station? What number are you at? And so they might be like, well, I just finished station one. Okay, what's the next one? And they'll say two. Okay, where's two? And that's about the limit of what I'm allowed to say to you. I have now drawn a boundary for myself that I am no longer going to cue you and nip at your heels all morning long so that you feel like so de-skilled as a human that you can't actually get anything done. And when you get to that next station, I'm going to shine a little sweetness on you and be like, you're jamming. I see you at number two. Can't wait to see you at number three. In the days where perhaps they move more slowly through their stations and they dawdled more, I'd say, oh, I'm so bummed that we didn't get our time together today, but tomorrow is another day and we can try again. I know that we can do it. Let's keep working on it so that we do have enough time to do our puzzle in the morning together. So it's really more of a, oh, shucks kind of moment. We didn't get there today rather than see, you know, if you wouldn't have dawdled, then you would be getting your book time. So sorry, Charlie, which is just such a different and shitty way to experience a reward being taken away. Really rather know as a kid and as an adult that I have another opportunity tomorrow to get this right, even if today didn't go well. I want somebody to give me a hopeful message, not one that makes me feel like I've screwed everything up. I would add one more piece that I want to convey, and that's deciding what boundaries you're going to give yourself in terms of how much barking at your kids you are comfortable doing. Because you can do that as much as you like, but then you have to be accountable for the fact that you're doing it and you're setting up a morning that's designed around anger, frustration, yelling. If that's not cool for you and that's not what you want, give yourself a limit. For me, it was I was allowed to say three different time markers in the morning. I could put them anywhere I wanted, but I wasn't allowed to say every 10 minutes, we only have 30 minutes left, like constant time markers to add some stress to the pot of what we were doing was making the whole morning suck more for everyone. So I gave myself a limit of three. I was allowed to give them, you know, anywhere I wanted to. But once I ran out, I was out. I wasn't allowed to give more don't be late cues. So what are the markers? My markers were I would let them know 
when they had about 30 minutes left before we had to go. I would let them know when I was about 10 minutes away from walking to the car. And then I would give them the kind of one minute, here I go. And I'll be in the car slowly pulling out the car. I hope you make it. (laughs) And that's where I kind of pull out my quieter, peaceful leadership skills as opposed to chasing them around. I'm actually going to leave and this is the time that I leave and I back out slowly and I hope you make it. So I'll be a little bit vulnerable here and share something that I did after hearing you say this in one of your labs. I just decided I was not going to stress out anymore about being on time for school. We have a 30 to 35 minute commute. There's often traffic here in Northern California in the morning. I am not a morning person. My husband isn't either. Mornings were just so stressful. Sometimes I would drop my son off at school and sit in the parking lot for about a half an hour, just feeling awful. Like I couldn't even drive home. Mm, (laughs) So we just kind of let it go. I just got his report card. We've been late 43 days this semester, which is a lot. The teachers asked me about it. I said, look, this is our family time. Sometimes it's our only family time of the day in the morning. We're going to be 10 to 15, sometimes 20 minutes late, a lot of days, but we're all a lot happier. He's in second grade. I think that his future is going to be okay because he was late a bunch of days for this school year. I love that. I love that story. And I think we could just do a thousand favors by sharing the ways that we let ourselves off the hook from being the perfect parent or being the one who's turning every moment into a teachable moment and deciding for this life to work as a parent, it has to work for us too. We have to set up something that is sustainable. I know for myself, and I love like the spirit of your confession, so thank you so much. (laughs) For myself, I realized one of the obstacles to my mornings was the idea that I was going to have to interface with like 50 parents at drop-off. So I made the choice to stop walking into school. I loved walking with my kid to school, but I didn't want to walk all the way onto campus and get snagged into a bunch of mom conversations. Just wasn't my jam, especially not in the morning. So I would just drop them off across the street from school and kiss them there and say goodbye. And, and they were like, okay, I understand. <laughs> like, yeah. It was no thing. So being able to decide how you want to get to school is really deeply more important to me and I think to your kids than getting to school on time. I would encourage anybody to practice being late and being okay. Because actually nothing really profound happens when you're late. I mean, maybe the teacher's a little bit bummed at you, or maybe you miss a little bit of what happened. But if you arrive intact and whole and preserved and feeling like you've been heard and understood that morning and you succeeded in what you were doing, you're just going to have a completely different experience of yourself in the world. Okay, Polly, we've covered a lot of ground today. What would be your parting advice to parents who are just exhausted by their morning routine? Set the intention for your mornings to be the right rhythm, the pace, and the spirit with which you want to live your life. And teach your kids to live inside of that. You're responsible for setting the tone. You're the leader. If you want to have a peaceful morning, wake up and set the intention for that morning to be peaceful and hold yourself accountable. And when it starts to go off the rails... Prioritize the peaceful experience that you want to have over everything else. 
Thanks for joining us on Parent School. You can find out more about Polly at thelabmethod.com. Lab stands for Language, Attachment, and Boundaries. And if you're in the Bay Area, you can check out her Lab Method workshops. I'm your host, Rachel Templeton. Thanks for listening to Parent School.